Hello, listener, and welcome to this new episode of Head and Heart, a podcast by Probe Ministries. I'll be your host today, Paul Rutherford, and I'm in studio with my friend Matthew Tingblad. Matthew, welcome. Hey, Paul. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. I'm glad you're with me. We uh, are talking today about why did God do that? Why did God do that? That's the title of your new book, right, Matthew? Yeah. Got a new book coming out, my first book that I've written on a subject that's really close to my heart, honestly. Excellent. Congratulations. Yeah. To show that God reveals himself as good everywhere in scripture, even the passages which seem to say otherwise. I love that. That is so great. Matthew is with Josh McDowell Ministry and has been for a number of years. You're not the first time on this podcast. You've been on with us, I don't know, maybe about a year ago. Another great episode. Listener, you should check that out. So we're going to be talking about hard questions in the Bible. We're going to be talking about how do you reconcile those together with the goodness of God, Mm -hmm. which is what your book tackles, really, Matthew. And listener, for you, I want you to um, be able to engage with these hard and scary passages in Scripture. Sometimes it can be intimidating when critics or skeptics bring this up and say, how can you believe in a good God when he murdered women and children, or he just destroyed entire cities and whole people groups in the Bible? Those are hard questions. And so we want you to be able to respond to that and have a thoughtful response, even if it's just, hey, I read this book. (laughs) And that's fine. You could always it's point. It's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Um, and then I think maybe more, maybe more importantly, maybe not, for you spiritually just to have confidence that God is really good in all things. And Matthew, I think you really led out with that by working on this book and answering so many hard questions. Yeah. I mean, I know when I started thinking about what I'd like to write on, I realized that so many people struggle with difficult passages of the Bible. And there's some resources out there which help with that. But I wanted to fill a gap to try and make this book more accessible to a younger audience or an audience that is simply more just on the popular level. Because a lot of the stuff I see out there is honestly really thick, really big, quite academic. And it's just not terribly easy for every reader out there. I wanted to make this a more universal, receivable book. Mm, That's so good. That's so good. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, if you are new to this podcast, I just want you to know that Probe Ministries is a worldview and apologetics ministry. We have tons of resources, most of which are free at our website. That's probe.org, P-R-O-B-E dot O-R-G. I am one of the fellow researchers here at Probe. And uh, Matthew, why don't you tell us a quick bio on yourself for someone who may not have heard you before and tell us about a little bit about Josh McDowell Ministry as well. Yeah. So I work with Josh McDowell Ministry as a speaker and author with the team. As a ministry, we want to serve other people until the whole world hears about Jesus, and we do this through our messaging. We message in person, in print, and in pixels, as we like to say. So we have our live (laughs) events with Josh and myself and others who speak and serve churches that way at conferences or whatever. And then you also have in print, which would be our books and uh, those types of materials that we're able to get translated and distributed all around the world. And then also in Pixels, which if you didn't pick up on that, it's all the digital ministry. Digital, electronic, yep. yep. Exactly. So we do a lot there as well with resources online. And I have a YouTube channel. There's uh, blogs and my colleague works with TikTok a lot and all different sorts of things that we do. Okay, great. I have some questions for you about your books. That's what we really want to talk about here in the next few minutes. But before I do that, uh, let's at least start off with how our listener can get a hold of your book. 
So it's brand new, right? It's not even out yet. It will be released on our website, josh.org, or you could go to store.josh.org. You'll get a little closer to where you can find the landing page of the book. And then a little later, it's going to be available everywhere, like on Amazon and other stores, September 12th. But if you go to our website on September 1st, or while it's still released exclusively on the website, you'll be able to get it at a discounted price. Because a website, it's going to be $12.74, which is a great price for a book these days. And then on Amazon and elsewhere, when that releases, it's going to be $16.99. So I would, of course, encourage you, pick it up from our store. That's also going to help support the ministry a little more if you can buy it from there. And you save yourself five bucks. Yeah. Roughly. That is fantastic. Good for y'all. And thank you for sharing that. That's that's really helpful and really good. Thanks. Let me let me ask you your my my first question here for you about mm-hmm. your book. You work in apologetics, which is defending the faith. That's a lot of what we do here at Probe Ministries as well. Our listeners probably not unfamiliar with that. But my question for you is if this book is about um, not only answering the hard questions, but also through those demonstrating that God is good, why would you prioritize your research and your writing to demonstrating that God is good? Yeah, you know, I remember this really hit home for me when I had a phone call. This gal called me up to confess that she didn't really believe in God anymore. And so I asked her, I'm like, okay, what's holding you back from belief in God? And she says, well, I just can't imagine that God would command Joshua to drive out the Canaanites or that God would send people to hell for not believing him. Or or why would God have all these laws about slavery in the Old Testament? And she goes on for a minute and I say, hold up. I say, you're telling me that you're struggling to believe in God. Yeah? She goes, yeah. And I say, well, based on what you just shared with me, it sounds like what's really bugging you right now with your faith, it's not that you don't think God exists. It's that you don't like him. Mm. Blew her mind. At at least I like to think I blew her mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, in any case, that's the issue for so many people. Whenever I hear a struggling Christian or skeptic explain themselves, almost always it's questions that go back to the goodness of God. Mm. And sometimes that would be, why would God allow pain and suffering in my life in this world? Seems like every Christian speaker has a talk on that, which is great. I, I'm one of them, right? Sure. Um, and I've heard your colleague Sue Bolin speak on that, and she does a great job with she that. She does, yeah, it's good. Um, but there's less conversation about the other side of God's goodness, which is what we see in Scripture. So that's why I wanted to write this book. I, I really think that as much as people are talking about the existence of God, the reliability of the Bible, all these wonderful topics, which we will continue to speak on, for many people, the issue goes down to they don't think God is good. Mm. And this girl's concerns are just as valid as the existence of God. I mean, if, if God is not good, then Christianity doesn't make sense anymore. It, it's incoherent. It, it can't work unless we believe God is good. Mm, that's so good. And that's consistent with my own experience. When I meet people who are atheists or agnostics or uh, skeptics, it's usually those who have uh, the ones that I'm thinking of in particular— they had a church background, they had a faith background, but they rejected Christianity. And mm-hmm. So it wasn't like this atheism came up in a vacuum. It was more wrestling with this question of the goodness of God. Is God really good? And in their cases, answering it, no, God really isn't good. And you know, one thing I really appreciate your book here, Matthew, is not only are you tackling these hard questions and passages in the Bible, things that the Bible teaches, stories that the Bible tells that are hard and difficult, uh, you, you do a judo flip. It's not only, hey, I can reconcile the goodness of God and the presence of these difficult stories or teachings. You go one move better and you say, no, 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 I'm going to show how that makes God good. 
<laughs> a judo flip. I like that. A I'll judo have to, flip. I'll have to use You're it. Judo flipping the ideas on its head. I love it. It reminds me of um, Frank Turek's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Oh, yeah. Where he takes these criticisms against God's existence and then demonstrates actually these actually point to there actually is a good God. And so mm. in that, it's a kind of another judo flip. I yeah. love that you did that. I thought that was when I first heard we ran into each other, I think, in the lobby a few months back and you were telling me this book was coming out. I got really excited about it for that reason. Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that, Paul, because when I set out to write this book, I didn't want to simply show that God is not all that bad. Because a lot of these books, it's like, oh, why does God slavery or hell or any of these things? And the way people approach this is they say like, okay, like, see, it's not all that bad. It, what, slavery was really like this and da, da, da. And it kind of just stops there. But what that does is it, it basically answers a negative. God is not bad. I want mm. to affirm a positive. God is good mm. all the time, right? Mm. And that's yes, that was is. really the heart behind this book. Mm. Yeah, that is so great. I, I love the courage that that takes. I love the ambition there. Um, and, you know, one thing I loved about your, your book is how um, you talked about it earlier, uh, how accessible it is. Mm-hmm. And and I would 100% agree with, with you on that, Matthew. And listener, if this is something that intimidates you, uh, definitely pick up this book. This is a great, a great one. Being a student of philosophy, the ancient, the philosophers have been trying to reconcile these two ideas mm. since the beginning of time. In fact, it's not, I can say this, the book in our Bible that is chronologically probably the oldest, Job, mm-hmm. is in one sense a theodicy. It is God's provision in his word to answer these questions. In fact, you you mentioned Job. You tell the story of Job in your book. Yep. And so you, you acknowledge that too, but I, I'm just going on to point out here that even God in his sovereignty chose, hey, the... If it's true, some scholars date Job earliest, you know, maybe it's not. And there may or may not be significance in it being chronologically written first. But there there could be, there's at least something to be said for that, which is that God knew this was going to be an issue in his sovereignty. And so he included that in his book. Yeah. So this is a, this is a big deal. This is a big issue. God knew his people were going to wrestle with it. Yeah. I mean, you have Job, which is, like you said, probably one of the earliest, if not the first book ever written. Um, some people might date it after Moses, which is fine. But in any case, you have Job, which is a book that is a wisdom book, but it's focused primarily on uh, the goodness of God and, and trying to understand that. Like you said, a theodicy. Why does God allow pain and suffering? Then you also have books like Habakkuk, you know, and, and once again, the, the prophet is just crying out, God, where is justice? Mm. Why is there so much happening to our enemies who are against you and think they're thriving, whereas we who are for you are not thriving? And so once again, you have another book of the Bible um, talking about how is God good? Mm. This is a common theme in scripture. Yeah, and it's it's really good because the way that you address it, like you said earlier, it's not dry. You maintain a conversational tone the whole time. Your your style, your approach, your prose, the way you structure the chapters, it's all really, really readable. It it um well, that's it great feels to this hear. feels like a cliche, but it felt very true when I was reading it. It felt like I was sitting down talking with you. Wow. I mean, that's how it felt. Like I could <laughs> hear you talking, like these are the ideas and just like and and so that kind of like it, right now. Kind, how about that? Kind of like right now. Exactly. And so I, I really, I just wanted to, A, thank you for writing that way. And then B, listener, encourage you. This is a very accessible book. In fact, as I recall, that's how J.P. Moreland wrote his endorsement in the front cover mm. of your book, is that it's very accessible. It's a great kind of first start if this has been something you're intimidated by, which, you know, I mean, if you've got J.P. Moreland's endorsement, 
you don't need a Paul Rutherford endorsement. <laughs> I mean, that's enough right there. I have so much respect for him. He's he's done so much, so much good work. Such a great guy. Yeah, and this is this is such a big topic of, of the goodness of God. And I think you're you're right to point out how important it is to believers. And I'm, mm-hmm. so I'm glad that you've devoted your time and your research efforts to answering that question. So, okay, so my next question is when we hear these stories about in the Bible that God destroys whole cities, God destroys whole people groups, women, children. It just sounds horrendous. It's awful. How does that teach us that God is good? Yeah, this is a question that is so common in scripture and a question that I've struggled with a lot in my life. But one thing that really helped to unlock this for me was when I started to really understand what was going on in Isaiah chapter six. So in the the book of Isaiah, Chapter 6 is where the prophet Isaiah sees God in his holiness. Uh, and, and you hear a description of what's going on. He sees God seated on his throne, high, high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple. It's filled with smoke. The house, the foundations are shaking. This is like kind of moment. It's a scary Isaiah. moment. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, Isaiah was probably a pretty good guy. Uh, but when I think about what was going on, and if I was sort of in Isaiah's shoes, I'd be like, okay, what would I, what would I say to God in this situation? You know, I, King, King Uzziah had just died. Things were not going well in his time when this was happening. And so it would have been easy to think that Isaiah would have criticized God. Like, God, why would you allow such these horrible things to happen to us in this time? But Isaiah encounters God's holiness and he cries out, woe is me, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. Isaiah encounters the holiness of God. That's what comes out of him. Hmm. And so this is where if we understand holiness, it's going to help us get to the question of why there's judgment. And I'll explain this in a minute. But holiness is one of those things where it's like, how do we even describe this? Like, how does how does holiness produce this kind of reaction in Isaiah. I mean, it's it's a highness, a sacredness, a sense in which God is utterly set apart from all things impure. You might even say that God's holiness is like a kind of prestige, but far more immense and incredible than we could possibly imagine. And so when we commit a crime or sin against this holy God, the penalty is far greater than we could possibly imagine. Because here's the thing with judgment, which we kind of know, but we don't necessarily think about all the time that, you know, if I assaulted a 42 year old businessman, I would deserve a certain kind of punishment. If I assaulted a 42 year old uniformed Navy officer, I would deserve a different kind of punishment. Mm -hmm. The point is that the penalty of the offense is not just based on the offense itself. It's also based on the offended. And we get this, Hmm. but what the challenge I think we have with God's judgment, it's not that God overestimates the judgment when he does these really severe judgments on people. I think we underestimate who God is oh, wow. and what it means when we sin against this holy God. Mm, that's so good. In fact, what really just hit home for me one day is I realized that because of our sin, we're not even entitled to the very air we breathe. And if we get that, if we can like wrap our heads around this, and I know it's not easy, that's where the judo flip happens, right? <laughs> because... That's where we realize suddenly God's, God's uh, justice and judgment, like it makes sense to us. And, and it's good that God is just. It's good that he punishes rightly, but it puts us in a bad spot. And now we're suddenly really surprised about God's mercy in scripture. 
I mean, the Bible's full of the mercy of God. It's everywhere. We, we often don't notice this because we take it so much for granted. Mm-hmm. But even when you look at one of the, the horrible judgments in Scripture, which was the exile, when the people of Israel were kicked out of their land and the Babylonians took them over. I mean, this was, a hor- this was horrible, right? Like their, their walls are breached. The families are torn apart. The cities are set on fire. They're dragged off to a foreign land. Many of them would die there. Decades later, mm-hmm. a small remnant of Jews returned to their homeland, which is still in ruins. And you have the prophet Ezra praying to God, looking back on everything that happened to them. He says, uh, if I can recall this verse off the top of my head, Ezra says to God, what has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt. And yet our God, you've punished us less than our sins deserved Mm. and have given us a remnant like this. Mm. Ezra sees mercy because he understands the nature of this God his in his supreme holiness and Mm. what it means when we sin against him. Yeah, that was so good. What did you say a second ago? It was real. I thought it was really great and worth repeating. It was something like, when we look at these judgments of God's severity, it's not that he got it wrong in his judgment of how severe the judgment is. It's that we get wrong how good God is. Yeah, yeah. We don't... Um, the, the problem, it's not that God overestimates the, the crime. It's that we underestimate the offended, who God is. Mm. That makes all the difference. Mm. And so when God punishes, he punishes justly. Mm. So that's important to realize. But one of the things that I also like to mention when I talk about judgment... It's not simply that God is this kind of mechanical being who judges according to how things ought to be. But you see in Ezekiel 33:11, as surely as I live, declares a sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. I mean that's that's the heart of the Father in judgment. Again, you see in Lamentations chapter 3 that though he brings grief, God does not I'm I'm paraphrasing at this point because I don't have this verse memorized, but though God brings grief, he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. Hmm. It says, I think more literally, he does not afflict from his heart. Hmm. So, So it's not like, again, it's not like this is a mechanical thing. Like God has a heart. He wants to see people repent and turn to him. And we see that in scripture. And we have to take these verses with us when we journey to the difficult passages of judgment in the Bible. Because it reveals the truth of, of God in his heart in the midst of all these difficult passages that he does not want to judge people. He wants to show mercy. Hmm. Man, that's so good. And I love what you pointed out a second ago, that our assessment that God's judgment is too severe. Uh, you landed at a place where you were reckon, where you were saying that, look, if we're real honest, we don't, we're not even entitled to the air that we breathe. And, and that's, that was mm-hmm. kind of a a theme, like a recurring theme that I noticed throughout your whole book, which was just returning to this fact that, Hey, look, I acknowledge that it makes sense. When you look at this story from the Bible, God looks like he's a moral monster. Mm -hmm. But when you take a step back and reflect on a, what's going on, who you are and who God is, you ultimately move to a place of recognizing, or I guess I I just recognize this, uh, uh, you know, my degree's in philosophy, right? So you have to forgive the philosopher who's perennially abstract. Uh, <laughs> always trying to come down out of my head. Um, but but the problem is, ultimately, philosophically speaking, is that we have no right to judge. When it comes down to it, I'm created, and he's the creator. And I have no moral standing to judge him. And when I do, it's because I'm borrowing ideas that he gave to me and revealed to me. He can reveal truth, and he can reveal... Um, goodness to me and I can use Mm -hmm. those standards. But then when I measure that back to him, 
I have to be very careful that I'm actually aligning myself with what he says and not what I deem actually good. Yeah. And this is something that I've thought about and processed, and I think it's in my book somewhere, (laughs) but that idea where we don't have that kind of right. When we think about it, I mean, consider why is killing evil? Why is it wrong? It's because that was not your life to take. But if God is a creator of all things, then he has sovereign right and rule over all of his creation. He would have the right to do what he wants with the life he made. Our life was given to us by God. And and as Job says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So this just, we have to understand who God is in relation to us here as well. But ultimately, I do like to come back how, again, this isn't just God whimsically doing as he pleases. Like he wants to show mercy. And we see that in scripture too. He's not Zeus up on Olympus. Yeah. (laughs) Indiscriminately distributing lightning bolts. Lightning bolt. Death. Yeah. Which which is one of the reasons I love my book cover because it it kind of gives us like Zeus image of God. It does. Which is Uh sort of like drawing people in like, oh, is God like this? Is God really like that? Yeah. Um, And the book shows quite different. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Um, okay, so I, my last question for you here is, look, I can I can also hear the voice of a skeptic in, in the back of my head who's saying, look, you're taking all these horrible teachings from the Bible, all these hard Bible stories, and you're just forcing a spin on it that sounds positive. Mm. How would you respond to that? Yeah, well, all of us come to the table with our biases. If I'm a Christian, I mean, obviously, I'm going to want to defend Christianity and show that God is good. And then you have atheists sure. who, like Christopher Hitchens, who wrote God is Not Great, and yep. he's looking at the same scripture I'm looking at and concluding God is not great. But the thing we need to realize about this, yes, we all come to the table with our biases, but not all biases are equal. Because the fact of the matter Ooh, is... that's good. Say that again. Yes, we come to the table with our biases, but not all biases are equal. Okay. Because the fact of the matter is that when you read scripture, it tells us plainly, God is good. And so when I'm looking at these stories of scripture, I'm simply trying to go at the grain of what scripture is telling us. I'm not trying to pet a cat the wrong way. Someone like Christopher Hitchens, (laughs) you know, like he can, he can go to scripture and argue that this or that story shows God is not good. But this same book also says God is good. And so the conclusions are not really available to him as much as he might think that they are. Like the the Bible already tells us about the nature and character of God. At best, someone like Christopher Hitchens could say that the Bible contradicts itself, but that's a different kind of issue. And, And so when I'm coming at this, trying to show that God is good, sometimes I do have to I do have to think pretty hard about this. Sometimes I might even say something where it's like, man, this feels a little forced, perhaps. Usually not. I think I'm on pretty good ground with my with my work, but I get it. Like, you know, talking about hell and trying to show that God is good. I mean, that's not a walk in the park. But um, nonetheless, if the Bible's true, then God is good, period. And so really for the Christian, the task is just understanding how this can be. And that's what I'm attempting to show in this book. Mm. You know, I've read... Christopher Hitchens in his book. And I, (laughs) there's some pretty obvious slants that he has. I mean, at one point he calls the Sabbath, the command to rest Mm -hmm. as basically this command to work, work, work until the absolutist tells you not to. I mean, that, that's spin. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm writing this book, I'm trying as hard as I can not to make the same mistake in the opposite direction. Sure. But I do find that 
scripture is on my side here because it shows that God is good. All the authors of scripture believed that God was good. And if we can journey into the world of scripture, we will start to see uh, and think as these authors were seeing and thinking. And I think that's actually going to reveal a lot of things that we may have never even known when we journey to the Bible and those difficult stories. That's so good. You know, I was listening to a podcast interview with uh, Alistair McGrath and um, Dr. Mark Turman with the Denison Forum. They were talking about uh, Hitchens got mentioned several times because they were Mm -hmm. talking about his, well, he was talking about his new book that's just coming out now, which is about coming to faith through Dawkins. It's an assembly of like 12 people giving their testimony who read Richard Dawkins, Mm. uh, who like Christopher Hitchens was a staunch atheist and critic of the Bible. But actually once they wrestled through the ideas, they came to faith in the God of the Bible, which is terribly ironic and funny, but also good. And as he was telling the story, Alistair McGrath's assessment was that guys like Hitchens, among others, in these books, that it's a lot of it's a lot of ranting. It's a lot of anger. It's a lot of, hey, this is negative. There's a lot of condescension. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of new ideas. There's not a lot of good philosophical arguments, literary arguments, biblical arguments, theological arguments that are really being offered here. It's just a lot of commentary. Uh, and all that just to um, affirm the point that you're making here, which is, you know, you're not the only one making that as- that similar assessment. But I'm so glad to mm-hmm. hear you were attempting to be fair in your work in terms of taking your bias taking your bias from scripture. What does scripture say about this? How do we reconcile this? How do we make sense of this? And that's that's really important, to, just to be fair to the text, any text, really. Right. And this one in particular is especially important. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. That's really cool. So, you know, I would also add, one thing I appreciated about your book is how well researched it was. Hmm. There's so many footnotes. There's so many things cited. Uh, so many things quoted. You clearly did your homework on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I had to. I mean, this is great. not an easy topic to work no, on. No, it's not. Yeah. And so, again, another reason I encourage you to go and buy this book. Go to josh.org today. Go to the store. Buy yourself an advanced copy. Get it on sale. Buy it from josh.org. Because just the end notes and the references that you make to other resources are going to be fantastic. If this is, Especially if this is something new you haven't really wrestled with. This book is going to be a fantastic resource to to start and to start making notes. Hey, how do I respond to this? And, um, you know, I guess I'll make this my last comment. I, one thing I really appreciate was how the gospel was permeated throughout this book. Mm. I mean, it was clear in the front several pages that y'all had a relationship with the Lord. And that goodness, I think, comes out through your attitude and your approach to the text. And even with your critics, you're so fair and you're so generous about how you quote your critics. Yeah, that Isaac Asimov quote in chapter, what is it? Is the intro chapter one? It's the beginning of the book. Yeah, chapter Great. one. Love that quote. I had actually, confession, never heard that quote before. This Your book was my introduction to that, and it was good, <laughs> which is just that the Bible properly read is the best. What is it? How's so it Isaac Asimov was a, he wrote science fiction primarily, but he was also an atheist, I believe. And he made a statement in one of his memoirs. He says, properly read, the Bible is the most potent force for atheism ever conceived. Woo! Potent force for atheism. Yeah. So he he's putting to words what I think a lot of Christians even worry about hmm. because we read the Bible and we worry that, oh my gosh, is God not good? Like, why would God do this and, and you know, kill the firstborn son of Egypt and all these challenges? And Isaac's just kind of putting that to language. Um, but 
I, I'm actually a little surprised when I heard him say that because he has no theological education. So, so like <laughs> properly read, like that's a bold statement. Um, and, what do you know about like, properly reading ancient I don't, ancient I don't mean to insult him or his legacy or anything, but that sure. is a bold statement for someone it without is. the education yeah, sure. when you have so many other people who have studied the Bible for their life uh, and, and committed themselves to this and have concluded quite otherwise. So, I mean, I would say, and at the end of the book, I point out, I'm like, no, actually properly read the Bible's most potent force for the gospel ever mm. conceived. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And the very last chapter addresses the issue of God being accused as abusive for killing his own son. Uh, you address that issue really well. And then it, it closes again with the gospel. And I just, I love that. I love your heart behind that. Uh, I think that's going to encourage our audience, especially those who aren't believers and who are still wrestling with this. Because, it, I mean, eternally, that's what's at stake here, is your mm-hmm. own soul, is your own relationship with the Lord. And you can have one when you recognize by faith that you're a sinner and you need him and you need help. That's yeah. really what it comes down yeah. to. Well, let me close with this. I, I really do think that revival is possible in America. But I don't think it's going to happen unless the church rallies together under this beautiful core conviction that God is good. Mm. When we understand that, then we're going to have a beautiful gospel to share to this world. Mm. That's so good. My guest today has been Matthew Tingblad. We've been talking about your book, Why Did God Do That? It's been a really good and encouraging conversation. Matthew, thanks for your time. Listener, you should go buy his book at josh.org. It'll be available on Amazon on the 12th of September, 23. Yep. Is that yep. right? But okay. it's going to be cheaper on Josh.org before okay. September, and it's available September 1st on Josh.org. Okay. Available so. September 1st on Josh.org, store.josh.org. Yeah. And available everywhere else, Amazon, booksellers, whatever, as of September 12th, 2023. Yep. Okay. That's been great. And then listener, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, use your subscribe platform, whatever preferred platform you use for podcasting. Uh, check out our website. We have lots of resources like these types of questions on our website, probe.org. You may as well go to josh.org as well. There's tons of resources there to help you answer questions and uh, grow in your faith. I've uh, been your host today. I've been with Matthew Tingblad. Uh, Matthew, thanks for joining me. Thank you. And uh, listener, we will uh, see you next time. 